Good morning, everybody. Isn't it amazing that it's already Thanksgiving week? Isn't that hard to believe? Man, our, our, our years just seem to go by so much faster. I was talking to my son last weekend. He's graduating from college in December, and he said, Dad, high school felt like a lifetime. And he said, in college, you've just flown by. And I said, son, welcome to adulthood. That's, that's the way it works. And so time just flies by fast. Uh, last week we talked about, uh, Randy talked, did, Randy did a wonderful message on humility. Uh, it was an awesome message. He's been bragging about it all week. So, <laughs> you, you know that's not true. But, uh, so it was, a, it was a great message on humility, and today we're going to talk about something that's just an outright necessity uh, when we try to move on this journey toward Jesus. We're going to talk about trust. We're going to talk about trusting in God. And so I've got an illustration, but I need some help. I need someone to spot me a five. I need a $5 bill. Has anybody got cash on them? Come on now, you can start looking. You, you got a $5 bill on you? Nobody has, nobody has any money? Just need, just need to borrow it. Just need a $5 bill just to make a point. Everybody's digging. Everybody's looking. I'm asking a lot in today's world because nobody has cash, right? Thank you, Charlene. Now that took trust, right? That took, oh, it's Mike's? Okay. Trust, right, Mike? Okay, there, there's a motto on the back of this $5 bill. Can anybody guess what that motto is? In God we trust, right? Okay, that's on, that's on our paper money. You know, that's been on our coin since, since 1864. It's been our pay, on our paper money since 1956. As a matter of fact, a, a joint resolution was passed in Congress in, in uh, 1957 uh, to put in God we trust on all of our money, and that was approved by Dwight Eisenhower. And so ever since then, we've had this, this motto on, our, on the back of all of our money, on all of our coins, in God we trust. And so my question for us today is, do we, do we really mean that? You know, it's, it's, it's on all of our money, it, and yet it's been tested over time in the court systems. As you can imagine, there's been quite a few lawsuits that's tried to remove that from our money. Uh, there's been people that have argued that it's a violation of, of the separation of church and state. And so, but the Supreme Court has actually upheld that, that it is not, it doesn't, in, it doesn't uh, consist of the government trying to sponsor a certain resolution. And so, in God we trust, it is in our money, uh, it's on our money probably uh, to stay. And so, the question is today, do we, do we really mean that? And Mike, you know, another lesson is don't put your trust in man. Yeah. <laughs> He'll, he'll let you down every time. So. <laughs> Have you ever caught yourself doing stupid things? I mean, and I've done, I've done things all my life, you know, and you'll do it over and over, day in and, and day out, and, and you never even think about it. But that one time you realize, man, that's stupid. That's, that's just kind of dumb. A Cu couple of examples. Um, if you ever drive into a parking structure, and they got that big bar that, that has the clearance, you know, when you're going under it. Have you ever caught yourself ducking to, to keep from hitting it? That's me. I, we drive, especially when we're driving the vans, right, Randy? And so have you ever, uh, like when you're going through a drive-thru, have you ever made, take, made your order and then tell them it's to go? Have you ever done that? Or how about this? Have you ever nodded at the speaker? <laughs> Think about it. You want fries with that? No. I mean, I do that all the time. I do crazy things, and I don't even think about it. You know, one of the things that I do a lot, and I go through my life, is, is, I, I, is I think that I can just trust myself, or I can trust somebody else, and I don't trust God. 
And so that's just, just a stupid thing to do. So I want to talk about trust today. Randy asked me to, to talk about this, uh, this subject today uh, because of something that, that I went through three years ago. My wife and I went through three years ago. Um, most of you know I haven't been a minister very long, just three years. I had uh, started in a career of architecture 25 years ago, now 28 years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I was, came from a very poor family. And so I always had this feeling that if I, could, if I could get out, if I could be successful, make some money, that all my problems would kind of go away. And so I, I worked hard at it, and I, and I had to scrap for a job in the, in the late 80s because it was the, during the height of a recession. There wasn't a whole lot of jobs to be found. But I got a job, and uh, I was making probably $1,000 over the poverty level at the time, but, but it was more money than I'd seen in a while. And so I got this job, and I worked real hard. I worked my way up to be a project manager. And then in 10 years into my career, something happened that had never happened before, Someone actually came to me and recruited me for a job. And they offered me a big raise. And so, you know, I thought, this is it. You know, I've, this, this is what I've been working for. Now all these problems are going to go away. So I took this job, and, and it didn't take long to get into it to realize that it, was, that it was not making me very happy. As a matter of fact, it was destroying my family. Uh, because I was tucking my kid in over the phone, you know, from a hotel room and all this. And so, so I knew that wasn't it. And so God taught us an important lesson that money isn't everything. And so I went back, and I, I went back to the company that I worked for. The next 15 years, I, I kept adding on to the income, and my wife and I were well into the six digits. And, and, um, but then God started telling me, that's not where, you know, I want you. He started telling me there's ministry for me, and so I didn't know what that looked like, and, and so we started preparing ourselves financially. We started, you know, one, one thing is when you start making a lot of money, you, what, what you're really saying is, man, I'm glad I'm making a lot more money because I can get into some serious debt now, right? And so, so we did that. We made those mistakes, so we decided to, to liquidate a lot of our unsecured debt, and we did that over a period of a couple of years. And so when the, when the time came that God was saying, that uh, I want you into vocational ministry, I want you into full-time ministry, that, that afforded us the option to do that. And I can remember when we were thinking about it, we sat down and we laid everything out on a line. And we, we, we came to the conclusion that, you know, we can, we can cover the nut. You know, God says count the cost before you, before you take action, right? And that's exactly what we were doing. And so we, we looked and, and saw that, you know, there's not a whole lot of margin here left, but we can do this. And we started thinking about the past five years, about just about every year, something came up that was something we didn't expect, and it would kind of drain us financially. And so we were sitting there thinking, you know, that's probably going to happen when we make this transition, but we're going to trust God that he'll care for us. And what I'm about to tell you isn't something I'm, I'm embellishing. It's not something that I'm making up at all. It's true. Those things haven't happened. Those things we could always count on happening just haven't happened so far. And so God has taken care of us. We put a kid through college in the last three years. And so that's real, folks. And I think when we start to trust God, especially when we're trying to live in his will, he'll care for us. I was talking to Randy about that the other day, and I was explaining that to him. And he said, you know, it just, that's just the way it works. God takes care of us. He always does. He's faithful in his promises when we trust him. And so I just wanted to share that much with you. So today we're going to talk about trust, and we're going to talk about this, uh, this thing that happened, this feeding of the 5,000 people. 
um, and, and you probably already know, it's like, it says there were 5,000 men that were fed that day. And so we can kind of extrapolate that there may have been, counting the women and children, between eight and 15,000 people that Jesus fed on a single day. So we're going to look at that story. But first I wanted to share with you from the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 36. It says, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. And why did he have compassion for them? Because he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so if, if you ever know what that word compassion means, it actually means from the gut. Think, think bowel. Jesus had this, this compassion, this feeling that came from deep about these people. And why did he have that, this, this compassion for them? Well, it was because they were like a sheep without shepherd. They, they had no one to trust. And so they were lost. They, wandered, they were wandering aimlessly. So Jesus had compassion for these people. And so I want to share with you, uh, let's go to the book of Luke, uh, chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. I'd like to share that story with you, the feeding of the 5,000. You can follow along on the screen if you would like. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And this is after Jesus had sent out the twelve. And they had come back, they had performed miracles, they had done everything that Jesus had asked them to do. It says, And Jesus took them apart, and he withdrew to a town called Bethsaida. And I want to pause for just a second, because I think it's really important. Uh, the, the gospel writers tell us where all these things happened. And so I've, I've started to learn, I'm going to pause and take a look at where that occurred. So I think I've got a map. Uh, can you guys throw that up there? There it is. Okay, if you can see uh, Bethsaida, where this took place, is on the northern shoals of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 750 feet below sea level, so it's kind of down in a hole. And so if you traveled uh, from Galilee down into Bethsaida, it was, it was, you were traveling uh, down the hill, so to speak. And so Bethsaida is on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And um, it's, it's important to know that that's a fishing place. That's a fishing town because on the northern shoals, the water is a little more shallow. It's where the water is fed in from the rivers that feed the Sea of Galilee. And uh, that's, where, that's where the fish are abundant. And so we know that Peter and his brother were from Bethsaida. And so they were fishermen. And so you can see close by to Bethsaida, there's a town of Capernaum. And that's kind of Jesus' base of operations. That's, that's kind of where he set up his, his center for ministry. And to, nor to the north of that, you see the city of Chorazin. And if you connect the dots between those three cities, that's those three cities, that's called the Evangelical Triangle. And a lot of people refer to it that way because that's where the majority of Jesus' miracles uh, were performed. And so this has taken place in the town of Bethsaida. Let's go ahead and, uh, and continue on with the, uh, with the reading. It said, When the crowds learned this, they followed him, and he welcomed them, and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who were in need of healing. And the day began to draw uh, weary, and the twelve, the apostles, came to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, send these people away to the, to the neighboring towns. It's like it's getting late, and uh, they need to go and get a place to sleep. They need lodging, they need food, and they need provisions. And Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless, unless we're going to go and buy food for all these people, they were saying, unless you want us to spend everything we got, this is all we have. How are we going to feed them? For they were about 5,000 men, and we know that's probably more like eight to 10,000 people, maybe 15,000. And so Jesus told them, set them down in groups of about 50. And so they did. 
And Jesus took the loaves and he took the two fish and he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was all picked up and it was 12 baskets of broken pieces. Have you ever really thought about what that would have looked like? I mean, I'm thinking there were probably at least maybe 65 groups of 50 people. Think about that for a second. I mean, you couldn't fit that, those people, you couldn't put them on a football field, right? I mean, this whole countryside was just, there were, there, it was just a, a crowd of, of these groups of 50 people. This was huge. And how do you think the, the food, how do you think it multiplied? How do you think it appeared? Did it just well up out of Jesus' hands? You know, we don't know. The, the Bible doesn't give us, you know, specifics about that. But this is a big deal. This is kind of a big operation. Imagine those guys, these 12 men, picking up those baskets and walking them over and setting them. And you know how many, how many trips they must have taken uh, to go and do that. This, this is something that's really huge. It's a big operation. And the interesting thing is what they needed for the people, they got from Jesus. What they needed for them, they got from him. And so do you think Jesus was teaching them a lesson in trust? I think he was. I love that statement. What they, what they needed for them, they got from him. And, you know, we have to trust in God. We have to turn to the Father. We have to turn to our dad. And so, you know, I brought the four chairs up again, and they'll, they'll, they'll be, they're not going anywhere without me, so they're going to follow me. I know a couple people were joking, yeah, Tony's preaching today because the chairs are up here. But if you remember, you remember, I hope you do, because I've said this enough, but if but chair number one represents the, the seeker. This is the person that doesn't know Jesus. This is the person who's spiritually dead. This is the person that's lost. And so when this person uh, wants to go to chair two, which is a believer, they first there's a gap between these two chairs because they have to come to the foot of the cross. And they have to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then when they sit in chair number two, they become the believer. And the believer is somebody that's needy. It's somebody that, that requires being fed. You know, they're like an infant. And you've got to clean up after them. And, and, and you've got to feed them. You've got to change diapers and all that. But, the, but they start to grow as a believer. And they start to care for themse themselves. And, and so when, then they start to get a heart for, for caring for other people. And then they move to chair number three when they become that person who, who gets involved relation, relationally with people. And they become a worker in the harvest. And that's not described as somebody who's cleaning up the floors or taking care of kids in the nursery. This is the person that's engaged in, in, in the kingdom. It's a person who's sharing their faith with Christ. And as they grow even more mature, they start to bear fruit in this chair. We all start to bear fruit when we, when we sit in this chair. And then when we reach chair four, um, we're a fully trained and developed disciple maker. This is when Jesus called his followers his friends. And so this is when we go out beyond our walls. When we start to spread the news, we start to make disciples that make disciples. And so these, these, this four chair, this, this whole scenario, there's nothing magic about it. It's just, it's just the showing the process. It's a visual that shows the process that Jesus took these 12 apostles, these 12 disciples through, and developed them as disciple makers. And it's the journey that we want to take uh, together as Christians. But you know, there's one important thing to, to note, that if you want to live this chair three and chair four lifestyle... You have to trust Jesus. You, you have to. If you're, if you're setting in, if you're not trusting Jesus, then you're doomed to live in chair number two. And so in order to do Jesus' will, we have to trust him because what, what we need for them, 
we can get from him. And so what's our problem? What, what was the problem with these guys, in this, the, these 12 in this, in this story? They were worried, right? It's like, Jesus, it's getting late. It's going to get dark. It's, it's going to be really treacherous. These, you need to send them away. They need a place to stay. They got to get something to eat. You got to send them. Jesus, we're worried about them. And what did he say? He said, well, you feed them. You're worried about them? Feed them. And so Jesus, what's he, he, he's saying a couple of things to these people, and I think he's saying some things to us. So three things God tells us to do about this worrying, this worrying that keeps us from, from trusting in Jesus. First, he tells us to stop. Pretty simple, right? The disciples are worried. He tells us to stop. We worry. We worry about the roof over our head. You know, we worry about paying for the braces on our kids' teeth. We worry about putting food on the table. You know, we, we worry about some of the silliest things, but we worry, we worry a lot. And Jesus says, stop worrying. You know, he was talking to these people that, that lived a long time ago, and I was kind of thinking about the conditions that they lived in compared to where we live. I don't know if you've ever done this, but, but back in those days, there was no sanitation. The sewers flowed open in the streets. You know, if an animal died on the street, it laid there and it rotted. Sometimes if there was a human that had no one to care for them and they died in the street, they laid there. This is real. I mean, this is what life was like back then. You know, and it was an arid climate. And they, 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 you know, in, in the indoors, you know, they used fire to cook. And so the houses probably smelled like smoke. There was no running water. So kind of the, the smell of body odor and everything else was probably pretty common and so compare that to what we live today and we can't even hardly think about what that might be like but Jesus was telling these people trust me and I'll provide so why can't we trust him when he says the same thing to us even as blessed as we are Jesus says stop worrying trust me stop worrying trust me the second thing he tells us to do is look just look around you in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 30, he says, Consider the grass of the field. Consider how I clothe the grass of the field. And it's just waiting around to be thrown into the fire. Do you think you're not more valuable than that? Do you think that if I'll take care of the grass of the field, the flowers of the field, and the birds of the air, that I won't take care of you? He says, just look around you and see. That's all we have to do. It's, it's all around us. I loved in, in chapter 20 or verse 27, he says, you know, you can't add an hour of, to, uh, to your life by worrying. I love what the Holman Standard Version says. It says you can't add a cubit to your height. It's not going to do you any good to worry. As a matter of fact, it has the negative effect. You know, we suffer from things like acid reflux, ulcers, chest pains, you know, any, any number of maladies we suffer because of the way we worry. It brings on you know, health conditions that we have to worry about. And so worrying is not going to help you. It's actually going to hurt you. Worrying is not, I love this statement. It says, worrying is not trusting God in the present when he's been so faithful in the past. Worrying is not trusting God in the present when he's been so faithful in his promises in the past. So look around you. Stop worrying. The third thing we need to do is we need to listen you know, when Jesus, on his famous Sermon on the Mount, you know, the things that he had to say to those people, they needed to hear it. 
really bad. They need to hear this one thing, and we need to hear this too. In, in the book of Matthew, in verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of righteousness. That has to be our priority. Over everything else, listen to Jesus when he says this. Seek first my kingdom. That means we need to bring our little kingdom under his kingdom. And we're not talking about a geographic location. We're talking about the spiritual kingdom. Jesus is saying he's got to be the priority. He's telling us, let, let the kingdom of God be your priority. You know, I try to help people, um, try to work with people, and um, it, it happens every now and then when somebody's excited maybe about, about taking their next step on their journey, and, and I say, well, let's catch up and do this, and, and I always hear, man, I can't fit it in my schedule. Just can't make it work. And, and again, I'm not picking on people because I'm the same way, but but I, I can't make it work. But then I see a lot of people that, you know, find time for golf. They find time for a lot of different things, but we'll say our schedule is full. That's not a matter of having too busy a schedule. I think sometimes our priorities just get messed up. Our spiritual growth, moving on a simple journey toward Jesus, should be our first priority. And that's seeking the kingdom of God. That has to be our first priority. And folks, that's what Jesus told them. That's what he's telling us right now when we start to depend on on the world when we start to depend on on money and everything that it can buy you know when we start when we start to pay attention to that it has our attention right and when we start paying attention to the kingdom of god then that'll have our attention i loved what dallas willard said about the about god's kingdom he said it's the range of his effective will where what he wants is done Folks, listen to Jesus. We have to surrender to his will. And that means we have to give up ourselves. And sometimes even our money and everything that it can buy. We have to start living that life. You know, we, we have to start living it out. You know, I was, I was studying a, a few people. You know, I've kind of had this negative opinion about these megachurch ministers that fly around on jets and everything. And maybe that's deserved. I don't know. But so I've, I've, whenever I hear of these guys, I kind of always have my, my feelers up about it. And so I uh, kind of felt that way about a guy named Francis Chan for a long time. And, and I'm not putting him up on a pedestal because I think he, he's just living his life. He's trying to be that empty vessel that allows Christ to live through it. But, but here's a guy who uh, ministered to people in Simi Valley, California, and Silicon Valley. You know, he's got a lot of these, these upwardly mobile people, these baby boomers that have everything. And so it's amazing. He kind of he really pokes them in the ribs and pokes them in the eye a little bit about their consumerism. But, but out of that, a ministry grew. And out of that, a megachurch grew while Chan was a minister there. And so he could have easily just bought his G4 and flown around. And, and he's, he's, he's written a couple of books. And you know, he could live the, the kind of the, the really easy life. But if you really look at what, how he lives, you know, first of all, he sold his house and bought one half the size not only did he do that, but he moved in people that didn't have a home, just strangers, moved them in with his entire family and continues to do that. He walked away from the megachurch. He felt God was calling him to be a disciple maker, and so he moved to San Francisco. And he tells this wonderful story where he's walking along Fisherman's Wharf trying to, trying to, to say, God, put somebody in my path. And this big guy comes up to him, tattoos, beard, everything, and says, hey, you're Francis Chan. 
And he said his first reaction was to say, no. <laughs> He's a little guy. But the guy said, I, I said, I've been out of prison for 10 days. And I listened, I've, I've watched your sermons on DVD. And I've got a lot of questions about this Jesus thing. And they continued the conversation. And through this conversation, he found out this guy was homeless. Along with his girlfriend and, this, and a young kid. Francis took him into his, his own home. He was living in a borrowed apartment, but he, he moved him in with him and his four kids at the time. And he ministered to him, and he, and, he, and he discipled this guy. And fast forward the story, this guy's now a preacher. This guy's a preacher because of... Now, now, now think about that. You know, I, it humiliates me. I know some people say, you know, that humbles me. But, you know, being humiliated is the same thing as being humbled. Humbled sounds better, right? No one wants to be humiliated, but it humiliates me to see how he's living this out. He had a whole lot more to give up than I do. But he's trying to live that life and trying to be obedient. He's trusting Jesus, and Jesus is coming through. You know, on a more local level, I ran into a guy by the name of Sean in Louisville. And I was at a class at Southeast, and I got to know this guy a little bit, and I, I got to hear his story. And he was living in a, with his wife, Inga, in an affluent part of Louisville. And they felt like God was calling them away from that, that, that that really wasn't what he had in mind for them. And so they made this decision through prayer to move to a place called Portland in Louisville. And if you know anything about that town, Portland is one of the worst places in town. Tons and tons of at-risk kids you know, who, who are sucked into the gang life and everything else. I mean, it is a really rough part of town, but that's where God was calling them to minister. And so they tell the story about driving into Portland. And they see this, this vacant house, and they, 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 they think they could really take that and, and fix it up and live there. So they located the owner of it and asked him if they would sell it. And he said, I'll sell it under one condition. There's an old school building next to it. And I'm tired of paying the taxes on it, and I can't keep it up. I'll sell you this house, but you've got to take that too. And so they were just on their knees thanking God because they, they took that school, and through their own sweat equity, they built it up, and they call it Love City now. And they're bringing in all these kids on a daily basis. They play basketball. They feed them. And they care for them. And, and more importantly, they teach them about Jesus. And I'm humiliated by that. I'm humbled by that. I don't give up what they've given up. But look how God has blessed them and look how the kingdom has grown. Folks, when we give attention to our money, it's got our attention. And we, when we do that, when we worry about everything that we got, we fret over how we're going to keep it and how maybe we can add to it, and we worry about it. We start doing the very thing that Jesus commands us not to do. Folks, we've got to stop worrying. And we've got to trust Jesus. At the beginning of this uh, talk, as I'm wrapping this up, you know, I, I asked you, do you trust Jesus? Let's be careful when we, when we answer that question. Do you trust Jesus? You know, I showed you on the back of that $5 bill that we've got that motto that says, in God we trust. I think if President-elect Trump were to come out tomorrow morning and say, I'm going to take that off of all of our money, I think we would all probably throw a fit, right? There's probably plenty of us that would, that would, that would get pretty angry about that and probably fight against it. But my question is, do we really mean it? Or is that just a cute motto? Folks, we have to trust Jesus. 
do we believe it? Are you living it out? It's easy to say, I trust Jesus, but can anyone tell? Do you trust Jesus? You know, I want to talk to anybody out there that might be here that, that hasn't accepted Jesus into your life. If, if you know, you're, you're, you're sitting in this chair, number one, you're a seeker, something brought you here. I like to think that it's Jesus Christ that brought you here, and he's calling out to you today. Our, our, our mission is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus, and, and we saw a journey begin here just a little bit ago. That's not the end game. That's not where it's over. That's where the journey begins. And so if that's you here today, please don't leave without coming up to see me. Come up, talk to me. I'd love to walk, that, walk you through that, walk through that prayer with you. I'll be up here when the last song is playing. Please come up. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know what's going to happen to you when we walk out these doors. We're not promised the next breath. We're not promised the next hour or the next day. There's no reason to wait. And I'm, I'm not above begging you. Don't leave here today without coming to talk to me. And if you're here today and you've been a believer uh, maybe your whole life or for quite some time and maybe you're starting to learn how to trust Jesus and maybe something that I've said is, has, uh, has kind of sparked that, uh, that conviction in you that maybe you want to rededicate your life and you want to start to learn. It's not something that happens overnight. It's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. I'd love to talk to you. Again, I'll be up here, but I would love to spend time outside of Sunday with you. I'll be glad to, to schedule a meeting. We can go, we can have breakfast, we can talk about what it is that's your next step. Again, I would tell you not to wait. Don't let another day go by. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we, uh, Matt had folks come up and we sat and we, we, we stood around in this space and we sang together some hymns. And man, I've heard so many of you talk about how what a wonderful thing that was. You know, I'm getting ready. As I always close, I'll close us in a word of prayer, but I've got something I want you to do today. I want you to come up again. Let's all come up and fill this space. I'm going to walk down here. Please, all of you come up, and we're going to pray to God. I'm going to pray, and you know, God says that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful. Can you imagine how powerful the prayers of a collective body of Christ are, if that's the case? And so come on up. I'm not asking. Come on. Let's make your way up. When you come up here, if you don't mind, lay, lay a hand on the person's shoulder next to you or in front of you. Get in there close. Make your way up. If, you can't, if we can't get up, come on up a little bit further. There's people trying to get in. Just wherever you're standing, put a hand on your brother, put a hand on your sister, and let's stop and let's pause, and let's go to our Father in a word of prayer. God, we welcome you here this morning. We know you're here. We feel your presence. Lord, wash us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the courage. Give us the strength to pull down these obstacles, not by our own will, but through you, that keep us from living that life that you would have us live. Lord, I pray a special blessing on each and everyone here. 
that God, that you would convict them with your spirit. That would you, you would show them the way and show them the life that you would have us done. Because our first, our first cry to you, Lord, is that your will be done. Lord, help us to leave when we leave here today. Help us to go out into our community and be the light that shines your name. Help us to go out and seek those that don't know you, Lord. Help us go out and find those and make disciples, Lord, who can turn and turn make disciples. God, we love you. We love your perfect will. Thank you for your words. Thank you for the scripture. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that you pour down on us on a daily basis. And Lord, thank you for this, this, this time of prayer that we can have to stop and look to you and connect to you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the son that came and lived three and a half years on this earth and showed us the pattern of how we can do your will until you return. And Lord, thank you for, for your son that, that walked all the way to the cross and even beyond the cross to prove to us first and foremost that we can have an eternal life with you. God, we love you. And it's in your son's precious name that we offer these prayers today.